From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I'm your host of today's episode uh, on April 16th, 2023. Uh, my name is Mickey Hellerback. I'm a journalist, writer, podcaster for Central Sauce, as well as a freelance writer for some publications like OK Player, MTV News, uh, Alt Press, a few others. And I am here with my co-host for the day, Brandon Hill. Brandon, what up? What up, what up? Your list of publications is just getting longer and longer. It's actually, like, mad impressive how that keeps oh. growing. Man, I mean, you, you can hype me up all you want, but you're the one really really out here writing for the big dogs. Uh, let's all congratulate Brandon Hill for being out here writing for the goddamn Boston I'll, Globe. I'll take the flowers. I'll, t- I'll take Yeah, them. man. Yeah, you're going crazy. For some reason, people keep paying me to write about visual art stuff, which is still baffling <laughs> to me. But I just, if we're going to sort of promo ourselves at the top, which I kind of started us on, I just uh, wrote a piece for artnet.com, which was not on my 2023 bingo card, uh, about a really cool actual exhibit in Baltimore where I live and am from uh, at the Baltimore Museum of Art called The Culture, which uh, sort of is dismantling the sort of societal separation between high art and hip hop culture. Uh, really cool exhibit and definitely check out my piece. It's pinned um, to the top of my Twitter profile. So check that out. Um, and yep. yeah, Brandon, do you have anything you want to promo right off the top? Yeah, yeah. As, uh, as Mickey just said, I recently was published in the Boston Globe. I contributed, and this is actually new too, because I guess it's like a, it's a personal essay. I don't know if I've actually published a personal essay. Maybe like some of the stuff at Central Sauce we did was kind of like essay adjacent, um, but this is definitely like a, a first as far as official publishing goes. I contributed an essay uh, to a magazine package in the Globe on uh, the hopes and concerns of college students, and I wrote about what it feels like to be. Um, working very hard to try to find a job in a creative industry at a time when artificial intelligence um, increasingly appeals to the people who are doing a lot of the hiring, you know, as a replacement for creative fields. Uh, So it was kind of fun. I spoke to a lot of different college students in different creative industries, uh, visual arts, digital arts, um, hip hop production as well. I spoke to a Berkeley student, um, shout out Dennis, and it was I don't know, kind of a cool process. And I got a couple more stories uh, coming in the globe as well that you can look forward to. So, Yes, sir. Definitely follow Brandon on all the social media platforms at Hoopla Hill uh, and tap into all of his future work as well as the work that's already come out and the, one, and the piece he just described. It's really dope. Um, let's do a little quick round of what we've been listening to. Um, I'll start us off and start off with uh, a an album recommended by our uh our group chat um guy slash uh podcast editor charlie uh putting me on to avalino is that how you pronounce it charlie give me a head not in the zoom yeah avalino <laughs> out of the uk rapper um i honestly it's i i'm i'm you know giving a little bit of an early thing here but thus far of like rap albums of the year it's really up there for me 
um, really cool. It's called God Save the Streets. It's actually, I just saw I was inspired by the Sex Pistols album, God Save the Queen, which is really interesting. Um, but just a really cool like array of different styles of rap sort of rooted in where the UK is right now, I think. And just some really interesting sort of rap styles and really personal storytelling style raps that I think are really dope. Um, and then the other thing I've really been listening to, to be honest, is the new Daniel Caesar album. He's really three for three for me as far as albums go. Um, I, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think, um, what's really remarkable about him is that obviously he still stays in the R and B realm, but all three of his albums sound completely different from one another, but still hit home for me. Um, yeah, I've been running that. I know our other co-host Tyler has been as well. That's probably his favorite album of the year. Um, but yeah, Brandon, what have you been listening to? It's been really like, it's been a lot of like good, good stuff for art rap lately or like art rap adjacent stuff. I feel like Like we had that Navy blue, uh, we had leather Boulevard, which I didn't find out until very recently that pink Sifu, um, does like a neo soul R and B duo under the name, uh, B Kool-Aid. So that was like an excellent, excellent surprise. Leather Boulevard, Boulevard has been, um, a lot of my background music lately. Um, other than that, uh, we are blessed to have a reminder that we live in the same universe as dinner party. Um, I have like barely kind of just ran the start of that album so far. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting to sit down with that. Like just the fact that that collective, um, Terrace Martin, Robert Glasper and Kamasi Washington, like exist, um, and make music together in the same universe as us is insane. Yeah, man, for sure. I I also really love that Navy Blue album. Um, My favorite track on there is Phases. It's basically just a long individual verse, maybe my favorite rapped verse of the year, even as much as I like the Avellino album. That one just really hits home. Super crazy rapping. Yeah. Shouts Navy Blue. Um, Yeah, let's transition right into the show today, y'all. We got two really, really cool and interesting contrasting I'm, I'm having trouble finding the exact through line between these two but maybe we'll figure it out as we go uh but really cool pieces um just sort of in totally different realms of of things uh i'm gonna start out with one uh from billboard and then we're gonna get into brandon's for inews um and yeah let's let's just get right into it and i'll do a recap of both of them at the end so uh yeah the first one uh, in my piece that I brought is uh, entitled The Diwali Rhythm. Creator Stephen Lanky Marsden explains how a beat no one wanted became the sound of 2003. And it was written by Jaina Jefferson via Billboard. Um, so officially, just to start out talking about the piece, I want to welcome everyone back to uh, my favorite In Search of Sauce <laughs> segment where Mickey brings a piece of the podcast he wishes he had thought of writing himself. Uh, It's been a few sort of episodes that I've been on since I've done one of these, Um, but this one is really the sort of epitome of this style of piece. I really uh, am jealous of Jaina for coming up uh, with such a cool topic to sort of dissect. Um, Jaina has also uh, been a writer I have long admired, uh, just generally. So this feels like such a perfect piece to sort of, uh, introduce her within it. May, someone else may have brought a piece, but I wasn't on the episode that she's written. Um, cause she's really out here, but I've, uh, long wanted to bring the right piece of hers to the podcast. And I'm excited that this is the one this is long overdue. Uh, I believe we were both on the same, 
uh, Breaking Adams Blueprint podcast uh, with our guys Sumit and Chris. Mm. Um, so yeah, shouts Jaina. Uh, yeah, so this will also mark my second ever retrospective that I've ever brought to the podcast. The other one was actually for an Incubus album, so it's totally opposite sides of the genre spectrum. Um, but what is really cool, I think, about this one is it is unlike any other retrospective I've ever read because rather than looking back on an album or artist slash vocalist impact uh, on a like 10 or 20 year anniversary, this piece looks back specifically on a sound which defined an entire year of 2003. So uh, the piece is about the Diwali Rhythm, which is created by dancehall producer Lenky, and it's aptly named after the Indian Festival of Lights. And in 2003, could be most prominently heard on the songs Get Busy by Sean Paul. I think I remember it the most specifically from this song, Lumi D's Never Leave You, which is the uh uh-oh, uh-oh song, and uh, Wayne Wonders No Letting Go. Uh, The piece does a really good job of... uh, sort of dissecting exactly what the sound was uh it's a the core of it is these sort of reverberating clap sounds and what jefferson calls energetic synths and a bouncy drum loop uh for anyone who literally has any nostalgia for the year 2003 and i know for a fact that i do the most of anyone who's on this podcast because i am the oldest uh, (laughs) this immediately brings back a feeling just at the thought of that sound especially for me again the one where it's that sound feels the most nostalgic to me is the Lumi D song. Uh, as much as I was like, I, I have had many recent conversations about how impactful Sean Paul is. Um, and I think that's a sort of an important part of the conversation today. That's that song and how the sound is used in that song really brings me the most nostalgia. Um, now let's talk about what this piece does really well. This piece, um, is really awesome at finding the balance between the technical breakdown of, uh, how this beat was created, um, the historical storytelling of how it sort of came to be and became prominent. And then also the feeling associated with the sound. Those three are sort of always intermingling and intertwining all sort of feel, it feels like simultaneously and that takes a really deft hand as a writer so that's really cool the piece never leans too hard one way or the other and i think the best word to describe it and i've used this word a lot on the the podcast because i think a lot of my pieces feel that i bring feel this way it's a truly holistic piece the other thing that's really cool is the fusion of a retrospective and a profile in one piece i think that's something that feels pretty different from uh any of the other pieces we've talked i've talked about on the podcast and especially uh compared to the other retrospective mm-hmm. that I brought. It's really a profile of Lanky as well as a retrospective, again, of a time and a sound. Um, and I actually, I did my first sort of official retrospective last year about Miguel's Kaleidoscope Dream where I profiled three creators uh, who were a part of that album. And I honestly wish I had read this before I had done my piece because I feel like it would have helped me find more sort of symmetry between those two styles. So that's sort of the final opening thought that I wanted to say about what I love about the piece. Um, let's get into a, you know, more detailed discussion, but Brandon, I'll ask you pretty uh, point blank start. What did you think? Where were you in 2003? What, what was happening in Mickey's life? I was learning multiplication. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> dead ass, like learning multiplication. Yeah. Oh man. 2003. I always think about like when I graduated high school, which is 2010. Right. So that's 2006 to 2010. So middle playing, school playing junior high baseball. Mickey. Six. Nah. Oh yeah. Nah. Playing baseball in junior high for sure. Sixth grade. Um, 
Man, I was, uh, you know, I was in a production of Into the Woods at Roland Park Middle playing Rapunzel's oh, Prince. Oh, right, right. You know yeah, what I'm that's saying? That's right. Okay, theater kid, theater kid. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was birthing into my theater kid era, which <laughs> lasted many years. Um, yeah, what else was I doing? Soundtrack I was by going, Sean King. Probably still going to uh, University of Maryland basketball camp simultaneously because your boy had range, you know okay. what I'm saying? all right. Multi-hyphenate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some multifaceted guy over here in sixth grade i had a huge gigantic afro which i no longer have <laughs> big big blonde jufro if they as you will yeah <laughs> so i like i mean my favorite part about this piece is kind of just how good it is at storytelling and how yeah. you can always find stories in unexpected places right mm, yeah. like this is you know this is really just you start with like, okay, here's this this uh, Jamaican rhythm, which actually there's a really good explanation in this piece as well, um, like what rhythms are and how they kind of like operate in the music industry, um, which yes. is basically this um, beats that like, or at least from my understanding from the piece, they're, they're beats that are sort of made with the idea that people will sample them and use them, yep. right? And then that's how they sort of mm -hmm. spread from there, okay. Um, <clears throat> and so you start with just this one rhythm Right. And it's like, what's the story? What's the story? How does this this it even says in the title, this beat um, that at first no one wanted. Uh, how does it end up in, you know, number one billboard hits? Right. Um, and at, at its at its core, it's just that it's a story. Um, and there's even an aspect to it where, you know, the writer here has found like you've, you've got this like story of like, oh, here's like the nerdy little beat that no one wanted. And now it, it grows up and it's the big mega hit. And there's even like sort of like bullies in the story. I'm going to read this like one particular quote that I kind of liked, which is, um, despite its hallmark hand claps, the rhythm was deemed too noisy and weird for many artists. At the turn of the century, more monotonous, bass-heavy dance hall beats like the filthy rhythm and the bagpipe rhythm were taking over. So there's even this this like ongoing thing of like, you know, who's the antagonist and the protagonist. And, and it's this great like storytelling mechanic that's used to talk about um, this really awesome cultural phenomenon, which is how, you know, these Jamaican rhythm beats um, brought dance hall music mainstream in the U.S. And it's, it's sort of like you said, you know, the the blending of the profile and the cultural piece. Um, you also get this, the character who created, you get a really good sense of who he is, the guy who created the beat. And he has this very, like, very likable, humble kind of, like, persona to him, um, you know, where he talks about, like, um, how dance hall evolves. And he's like, yeah, like, I never wanted to be in the spotlight. Like, it's just all part of the process. Like, you know, music evolves, music changes, reggae can't die, like, Bob Marley, you can't kill Bob Marley, like, no matter how much the thing changes. Um, so it's just this really holistic is a good word. This really pleasant, like fun to read and 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 really informative story about this just really interesting, you know, cultural phenomenon that's just told with like, you know, very straightforward storytelling elements that that I wonder, like, you know, during the reporting process, how much of like, you know, her actual reporting work, you know, she's going in ahead of time with like, I got to find the characters and find the conflict and, you know, kind of sorting those things out to, to really find the story. Yeah. There's a lot of purpose in this piece. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, this is so much of a, again, goes back to me wishing I had thought of the idea. There's so much importance that I put on a lot of time in my own journalism and in, in bringing these sort of behind the scenes voices out of the shadows. Um, and I, I really thought it was an interesting breakdown when Jefferson sort of uh, talks about 
lanky in the context of the era that he was in uh via like this was like the first era of you know especially within the context of like um let's say sean paul reggaeton or jamaican rhythm and uh sort of pop and hip-hop and there's these like real emergence of that era in the late 90s early 2000s of super producers who also had their own sort of signature versions of signature sounds but how his sort of you know natural incline inclination was to sort of lean back into himself rather than you know be front facing front and center um but to for her to like you know intentionally go after being like no this person is really significant to this sort of movement of sound and like the feeling of a year uh i i just think that that's really important um in historical context and there's more and more of journalists like myself and jana and and others who are doing that more of in a modern context because we're sort of realizing like these voices need to be prominent need to be front and center and need to be talked about and expressed and profiled in the modern day but they're also this sort of uh you know made me realize how important it is to really be able to keep looking back to see these significant behind the scenes, particularly producers, voices who really defined eras who uh, hadn't been um, just highlighted as much as they actually deserve. So I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. Shout out uh, Thomas Hobbs, who's doing the same thing with his behind the beat column over at OK Player. Like it is nice to see a lot of these stories getting, you know, media attention and more shine and being able to be told because they're, when they're told in this format, you know, they're always so interesting. Yeah. And I, I like what you were talking about before is sort of bringing it back to the, you know, the, what I introduced, the intertwining of the sort of themes of the piece. And, uh, you got to the point where the, the sound initially, as he created it, wasn't really embraced initially by the people he was sort of showing it to. Um, Mm. But then there's a really good sort of technical breakdown that Jaina does before that about the actual creation, which I thought, again, was just a really good intertwining of the storytelling element with the technical element of how the actual sound was created. So I just wanted to read a little bit of that. Um, she wrote, created in 1998 with the Tascam D88 multi-track recorder, the rhythm was initially called Ethnic Journey. This served as an ode to Lanky's time experiencing new cultures while on the touring circuit, specifically while in Buju Banton's band Till Shiloh. The first element developed for the rhythm was a kick followed by a basic synth, but a bass line just wouldn't cut it if... Uh, cut it if the beat was to stand out we needed something to get people to dance he recalls i'm the type of person who needs to get people dancing so i came up with the clap i did several different takes of the clap stack together i wanted one more thing to make it more dance so in the original cut of diwali you hear this congo drum and i said that's going to get them on the floor so again sort of to go back to what you said about the section that you read uh just a really sort of unique take on storytelling um i i think it's really cool uh to again, be able to intertwine that sort of technical and historical element with uh, this idea of telling a story of something that was birthed literally out of a necessity, like that the clap didn't just come from like studio experimentation, but from an actual necessity of getting people to move on tour, I think is just a really interesting detail. And again, a really good example of how Jefferson was able to weave that in with the, the, the you know minute elements that also make up something as significant as this yeah i mean the beat itself is a, is a whole character in this story not just like the character who's being profiled like it's got there's a whole arc to it and everything um and you mentioned a minute ago how 
you know, at one point in time, like the beat was kind of shelved and then um, when it wasn't successful and then uh, Lanky brought it back like later. And I think that speaks to a really cool thing that you hear sometimes about like <clears throat> when artists make something that like doesn't click, it doesn't catch on, but, but for some reason for them, it's still like keeps scratching an itch in the back of their, uh, back of their mind. And they're just kind of, yeah. you know, waiting for the right time for it. Um, and how they, they seem to know something, you know, or they can clearly like see something or hear something or, or know something about the piece of art that other people aren't. Um, because mm. you know, when that happens and then, you know, the beat like this, that, that tops billboard charts, you know, at, at some point that the, the artist himself had to still have some kind of faith in it. Um, you know, even after all the rejections and all of the, um, opportunities that it wasn't picked up, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, once it was ready, it just became this sort of avalanche effect, especially uh, it went it sort of had that like Wayne Wonder then right into Sean Paul and then just sort of peaked and yeah. just became this this huge thing. And um, and then yeah, even it's smaller really just... examples, too, like um, it's in Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, uh, Rihanna's yeah. Ponda Replay, like, and you know, even like you because there's obviously like straight samples and then there's like, right. oh, like, let's just rip the drums or, you know, let's take the. The, this part of it and it clearly like spread right well it's it, that that was a, another thing i wanted to mention about the piece and actually we can sort of close with that before we go to your piece which is that um the significance of crafting a sound that like leaked into a bunch of stuff and defined the sound of like an era or a season or a year is that in the cycle of the way people naturally crave nostalgia that that is inevitably going to come back around and that gives again another really significant reason why people like lanky need to have retrospective profiles on them because their significance is really like cyclical and reverberating in a way that's really interesting. And I think again, Jefferson, just to close on this, did a really good job of highlighting that and sort of uh, maybe inadvertently urging us to find more of these stories to see how they, you know, uh, originated and then continue to sort of cycle into music as we move through different eras that are reaching back to other ones. Yeah, um, I have no idea how that transitions smoothly into yours, Brandon. I got, it. I got you on the transition. Okay, I got you on Brandon, the transition. So earlier, take it away because I got no idea. I, I've got you. Uh, Mickey mentioned how this piece is kind of like a hybrid uh, format of between being like a profile and um, and uh, a cultural, you know, storytelling piece. And the piece I brought today, I'm bringing because um, what made it catch my attention is that it is is also sort of its hybrid format. Um, at its barest bones, uh, this this article is really a book review um, or a book preview. Uh, but what it does is it, it's giving a book review as a uh, reported feature, uh, which I thought was an interesting way to not just like highlight the book that's being talked about, um, but highlight the importance or I guess highlight the details of the space that the book is being introduced to. Um, so the article is titled Snorting Your Way Through It Catches Up With You. The Mental Health Toll on Touring Musicians by Nick Durden for I. Um, it's a March 17th piece. I've had this sort of in my, uh, in my back pocket for uh, a little while now, waiting to bring it to the podcast. And so, like I said, the main reason the story is cool to me 
um, is, is it's a really valuable way to approach a literary review. And I've started to realize uh, sort of through the classes I've been taking, people I've been talking to, um, that there's a huge market out there for book reviews. Um, and it's something that I've kind of been wondering, you know, how do I get into a space like that? Like, you know, what's what would it be like to just read books, review the books and the content, you know, and, and get the bag for doing that? Um, and this this story here uh, really just stuck out to me as like, oh, like, that's something I could do. That's something I should do or like a really interesting way to approach these literary reviews. Um, Durden, so Durden found an excellent topic, obviously, in this book um, that's about the mental health tool, toll on touring musicians. Um, and then he interviewed the author alongside some actual musicians who provide firsthand accounts of exactly what the book is talking about. Uh, the piece doesn't even start off with the book or even with quotes from the author, despite that really being the center of the story. Um, it first starts with a strong anecdotal lead from a musician uh, who cancels their tour um, in the middle of touring for mental health reasons. Uh, it demonstrates the need for such a book to exist in the first place. It then gets you interested in hearing about the book and hearing about the author uh, because you've been given this firsthand anecdote of a person who said, look, like, I'm 31 years old, like, I, I'm canceling this tour, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, he tells the story of, it's, it's James Smith, who's the 31-year-old singer of the, the band Yard Act, uh, but it's not just Smith. Durden mentions Sam Fender, Arlo Parks, and Wet Leg, who also canceled tours uh, for mental health reasons in 2022. It is a, it's a UK piece, so a lot of the artists that it's talking about are UK artists. Um, but I don't think you'd have to look too far to find uh, US examples as well. And there's this um, really like poignant uh, paragraph in here that I want to read that says, there's actually two paragraphs I'm going to read. This is the first one. Um, it says, historically, bands have tended not to take time out. Their schedules don't permit it. Instead, they continue until they burn out and then break up. But thing, but now things are changing. About time, Smith says. So that's sort of like the lead, right? That's the interest in, introduction into the piece. You get this story and then you get now things are changing and here's the book that I'm reviewing. Uh, throughout the interview with Tamson Embleton, who is the editor of Touring and Mental Health, the music industry manual, uh, Durden walks through much of the book's content um, and then he ends with this really, really nice point um, that's towards the end of the piece, where this is a quote from Embleton. Um, he, or she says, uh, we're basically recommending that people take more care of themselves and have a better life-work balance, Embleton says, which of course means working less. However, working less costs, but I would argue that it actually builds up long-term resilience, which can help with longevity. Um, and that's really where I kind of found, I guess, what would be like the heart of this piece, um, which is that we have the tools you know, to address our mental health. And, but, but doing this always means, um, addressing like, like addressing your mental health is like on a tour or during a recording process is in direct opposition, um, to, to the like capitalist sense of the label to like maximize profit. Like anytime you're taking time off or, you know, I'm, I'm under too much pressure with this album and I need to step back from it. Like, all of these things that are um, so necessary to like maintaining your own personal well-being are, are you know, indirectly in combat to maximizing the amount of money that is being made off of you or around you or even for you. Um, and that's where, you know, it, the piece is suggesting that a book like this is so important because it can help you reach an understanding of, you know, these are the things that are pulling me in other directions, but they're not all my best interest. Like, for myself as an individual, um, 
my career and my health are going to be better in the long term if I, you know, am less concerned about these short term profits and the people who are kind of pulling me um, to maximize those in all different directions. So that's my lead up. What 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 did you think, Mickey? I guess I should have had like a specific question yeah. for you. But and on to our another one of our favorite uh, sort of styles of pieces on the podcast, other than pieces mickey wishes he would have written is another we got another eradicate capitalism banger on our hands <laughs> ladies and gentlemen uh this this is this piece is like literally the epitome of uh what's the answer eradicate capitalism uh if i've ever read one in my life so i think that's really great brandon what you um said was the core or um the heart of the piece is also what i took from it as being sort of uh, the heart of it. And I think this piece really had a lot of purpose, um, especially in in the context of it being a sort of book review. The book itself seemed to have one purpose. And this piece had like a connected to the book's purpose, but a separate purpose, which I think is really important rather than it just being like a breakdown of what the book is doing. It's like, let's put it in like the wider societal context within the review, which is like the book is directly talking to artists. This is something that you can do better for your mental health. But then this piece is speaking more even, um, again, it's to the, like the labels or powers that be who are feel like it's in contrast that they are in sort of, um, not contrast, but in, in arguments or just opposed to that idea because it's not benefiting them financially. And that quote that you read is really saying like, you actually, the way that you've always thought about this is actually really just thinking about things financially in the short game of things. And that's actually been a really big problem in the music industry. And this book is actually introducing a new overarching philosophy that would be beneficial to the labels to think more in long term. Because the reality is, is artists who are thinking in the short term are often actually, they have these moments which keeps getting chronicled in the piece of burning out, losing their mental health and their careers being over and them literally running out of money. When actually as a label, you should be thinking about how long we can keep the artist's career going because if we can make money with them over the course of like 30 years versus, you know, six months to three years, what is actually going to be the long-term benefit of that? And if you actually focus on this sort of mental health journey in order to benefit you in that way, that could in the long run actually make the music industry more functional and have people less broken put on the street who are like inherently creative people who all of a sudden don't have an outlet anymore because they're burnt out and don't know what to do with their lives. Um, which I, I think is, it's it's really cool. And I, I understand why it was like sort of an inspirational of like a light bulb of like, oh, this is a space I want to get into, but I don't know how to do it. And then this being that light bulb, because it felt that way. I've never thought of doing book reviews, honestly. I've like really started to get into reading more. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of books. demand for it. Um, and I, you know, I would, I guess I could get into that too now after reading this, but this, uh, <clears throat> I like how it defined the book review as something that felt bigger than just reviewing the book, but it's like taking the idea in the book and putting it into a more sort of industry-wide context, I think is uh, really important and I thought was really effectively done. 
Right. Yeah. And I'm going to, I want to point out something else that you're talking about there, which is like the, the idea of like the short term profits, um, being like a, a driving force for the music industry. Um, and that's, yeah. it's the same problem that the short term profit, like ideation is, um, a driving force, like across the economy as a whole. Right. And, sure. it, and it, and it speaks to, it speaks to what, like who is benefiting, right? Like who's the one putting the pressure, um, for the short term profits versus, the common sense thing, which would be that, oh, we can make money long term if we just, you know, if we if we stretch it out, and we take good care of ourselves. And it's the fact that like everything, you know, from the stock market to um, the CEO, like pay and bonuses is driven on that like quarterly profit margin. Right. Like your direct evaluation every four months is not just on like, oh, are we making money? It's are we making more money faster than we were making money last quarter? Right. Like and when you're. Mm-hmm stuck so so much into that like every four month loop you know you yeah. you're you're worried about the last four months you're worried about the next four months but you're not worried about the next four years right there, yeah. there and, and the, or i guess the person who's not worried about that um is the person whose you know million dollar bonus is driven based on that quarterly information right the person who that you know five years from now when the artist crashes and burns um has already moved on to a new company you know, and they, they got their bag, they got their bonuses by really, you know, squeezing the fruit. Um, and that's, you know, a lot to, to be included in a piece that's primarily a book review, right? And that's why this yeah. one feels so cool. Yeah, and the sort of, uh, I don't know if you were going to bring this up too, but the sort of like, really uh, grabbing moment of the piece for me and it was sort of written within the context but it felt like in sort of reaction to like well if this isn't enough to convince you let me just throw this like stat at you which is that musicians die 25 years earlier than the average population so it's like okay if you're not convinced that this is um uh actually a financially better thing for you to think about we're not just talking about a problem we're talking about a crisis like that just reading that sentence and that being a real stat that's reported in a piece is jarring yeah like i there's no way you can read that i i I literally had to double take it like 25 years earlier than the average person a musician dies is insane yeah usually when you get a stat like that it's like a it's like a someone you know men die on average five years or live five years less than women and it's like that yeah. people you know that's a very serious thing like a five-year discrepancy yeah. and we're talking about a 25 year discrepancy no that's a- absolutely insane and then it's also like then the sort of reverberating thing after that is like okay so <laughs> even if you think about this in the sort of holistic overarching way right literally first of all that's horrible and second of all again if you still want to bring it back to the capitalism there's no way that that's good business yeah. That being a statistic at the end of the day is not good for you, especially with the level of talent that you have to have to even get to become a part of these major label systems. There's no way that that's good. Well, so, yeah, and then throw the the postmortem exploitation on top of that too as well. Like absolutely. there's that there's other pieces I think we've yeah. covered that speak to you know, the sort of sinister way that the industry almost profits off of running young artists into the ground um, and getting the absolutely. most out of them, yeah. Right, right. So it's, I mean, the interplay is like a concept that I feel like I continually 
sort of discuss and especially even within our sort of inner circle is a thing that I think I bring up, which is this sort of never ending, um, I don't know about debate, but just having to think about the, the context of morality versus reality. I think this piece is like just a, doing a really, um, you know, focused job of talking about how that exists within the space of artist mental health and having an understanding. And that's what to me makes it the most potentially convincing even to like industry people who are locked into that sort of, I get my bonus if I make this amount of money is that like, we understand that it's a dance between those two things, but when you break it all down, what do you, what are you actually looking at? This is what you're looking at. And (laughs) it's a crisis. And this is something that's actually in the reality. When you zoom out, it actually is not financially viable for you in your sh- short term to be thinking just solely in those numbers. Right. And it, and it's in, as you were talking a minute ago too, you helped me kind of come to like, I think a good way to describe like the function of the piece. Um, and it definitely seems like, you know, it's, it's speaking to the artist and it's sort of like asking them to consider like, where is that pressure coming from? Right. Is it you putting that pressure on yourself? You know, is it, is it someone like that pressure is coming because it's convincing you that like what you need to do for your career is put your head down and grind and really focus and like, you know, go hard for five years and then get out of this and you'll be in a better spot. Um, and that seems to be like what, you know, it, it's not like going directly and saying, Hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. But it's saying like, consider like that feeling that you feel the need to grind. Where's that coming from? And who's that benefiting? Right. Is that really the best outcome for you? Um, because it addresses how, you know, a lot of young artists, uh, when they deal with this sort of like pressure to, you know, meet those quarterly profits, pump those numbers up, get out there, go on to grow that fan base. Um, a lot of the artists respond to that by using, you know, like substances. Um, it's, it's directly in the title of the pieces, um, snorting your way through it or something like that. And that's because, you know, these touring artists, when they reach that breaking point, um, the answer is often, you know, oh, like you know, snort your way through it. Like we're going to do some Coke, we're going to get through the tour. Um, and then we're going to be back and we're on the other side. Like then we'll get our shit together, but you never do, you know, because (laughs) when you have to get your shit together that yeah, all of a sudden you got to make another album. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and it even addresses, um, is that in this piece? It addresses artists, even explore labels, exploiting, um, artists that are making content about their poor mental health. It's the next thing to talk about. Yeah. And that being like, (laughs) A driving factor for, or, or, or I guess being ignored in the, everything other than the art. Like the art itself yeah. is saying like, yo, I am really struggling here. Here is like the God's honest truth with what's happening. And then they're out there on like a 20 junket press tour talking about how much they're struggling. And, you know, they're, they're on the, the world tour, you know, doing three shows a night singing about like how they're working too hard and they're, they're getting beaten down and they're struggling with addiction and then, you know, everybody's yeah. cheering, then they pack up, they hit the next show the next day, same thing. Oh, yeah, and then it's, like, built into their marketing rollout, too. That yeah. was the thing that was, like, really interesting. And I, I that also made me think, I mean, that that is a, an element that, you know, it goes into the morality versus reality thing again, too. And it's just, like, a really, like, man, like, what are we doing here? Uh, of it all why you know can we really zoom out and look at this from the whole perspective um it also did make me think about something that wasn't discussed that i've been thinking a lot about recently is that like versus like the more classic sort of what you're talking about like press junket of having to like go and discuss 
with various people like your sort of like crumbling internal crumbling that made the music happen there's been sort of a sort of a, and maybe a positive thing of social media a little bit and rather than it being con contextualized as this sort of marketing for the music is i've seen a lot of you know more emerging artists because they have their own agency to discuss it in their own terms have been like using tiktok as a sort of like communal space to heal from the shit that made them make the music in this weird way it seems that way i mean you can never really know what the reality of that is but it seems to me versus that sort of like now i gotta go talk to this other person who i don't exactly know and like go through the cycle of going through this thing they're more like hey you know, talking to my fans directly who are listening to the music, you have to understand that like, there's this reality that caused this thing. And I'm still going through this thing. It's a process, not everything's solved. And sort of having that like organic conversation with the community who's listening to their music. That's been really refreshing. That doesn't remind me of any sort of existence before it, but there's like, um, and then that naturally, because it's not really marketing, like it kind, it just naturally becomes it because it really is like this natural fan interaction thing, um, which I think is a, a really positive way that that's sort of starting to become flipped with the, the ability to have agency of, of, and can more, you know, self-control of like how to really be able to express that stuff without it being so business driven and, that inherently because authenticity is what shines through for sort of artist promotion on social media becomes a healthier way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much covers uh, everything I had to say on this piece. Um, and a really great, it's, it's, it's funny. Like it's like a multi-level like inception. Like it's like, there's a book, then there's a book review, the book review, that's a feature. And then the podcast that reviews the book review, that's a feature. Like uh, yeah, we like yeah, it's, it's level, it's, le it's media levels <laughs> deep on this. Like, I uh, know, yeah, right. We can't go any more levels, or else I get I'll get confused, just like when I watched Inception. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a good good way to wrap it up. Um, just to review the two pieces that we've talked about today, they were both excellent. Glad we got to have these discussions. The first is the Diwali Rhythm creator Stephen Lanky Marsden explains how a beat no one wanted became the sound of two thousand and three. That was written by Jana Jefferson via Billboard. And the second piece, Brandon's piece that he brought, Snorting Your Way Through It Catches Up With You, The Mental Health Toll on Touring Musicians. That was written by Nick Durden for iNews. Thanks for writing these pieces, y'all. Uh, we were really hyped to talk about them. Um, and yeah, I uh, thanks everyone for listening as always. I uh, just want to wrap it up with uh, the closing thought that we always leave, which is if you are a an emerging, up-and-coming journalist writing for not the major publications yet, just getting your voice out there, writing for smaller publications, and you would like the opportunity to potentially have your piece um, presented on this podcast and talked about on this podcast, please feel free to hit us up and send us your piece so we can read it. We'd love to read it. We always want to read new pieces from new writers we're not aware of yet. Um, hit us up and we'd, we'd love to consider it. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I'll just close again with a uh, thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank yeah. You anything? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, send us the stuff. We want to read it. Yes. Yes. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Peace. Peace.
This episode of Mr. Source featured Nick Hellebeck and Brandon Hill, the Central Source Credit Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor of the Fifth End Podcast Network. Music for the show is fucked up by Bars T. Thanks to your music for the ability to use. It's been a Central Source Fifth End Podcast Network production. Thanks to Bars T, your music, Central Source Fifth Element, and content coming episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source.